Hi, this is Andy, and welcome to our newest episode of the Wilderness Therapy and Residential Treatment Center Journey Podcast. Last episode, it was me. Yes, I shared my interview on the Sky's the Limit Fund Speaker Series. In it, I shared my family's experience and discussed about what you should expect while your child is away at Wilderness Therapy and what you should consider doing as parents while your child is actually away. If you haven't tuned in yet, I recommend you do so. As most of you are likely aware, mental illness and substance abuse continues to increase at alarming rates. At this point, alcohol and drug addiction is one of the most common mental illnesses in the United States. An estimated 21 million aged 12 or older, which is 8% of the population, has this alcohol or drug addiction. And although the addiction is similar for adults and adolescents, it occurs far quicker for teenagers. It can take eight to 10 years for adults to have chronic dependencies, whereas it's only 15 months for teens, which is really amazing and fast. Many of you listening likely have direct experience with addiction and maybe someone you know or something you've had to address yourself with your family or friends. Most everyone knows somebody who's been impacted by addiction either way. And it's really, really hard because there's no easy fix. You know, yes, it's a journey. Someone who has seen some of the worst and best of times with addiction is our guest today. I wanted to share the story of Don McCord, her son Carson, and her family struggle with substance use. She recently wrote a book called Chasing Carson, which I read and highly recommend. I wanted to share uh, two excerpts from the book so that you can understand kind of uh, what she was going through before I introduce her. The first one is when she kind of um, got into the throw of things uh, when he had um, an issue where he um, needed uh, an IV and needed uh, the police to come because he had overdosed. And so Don reflected and said, what? This, this is not the norm for our family. This does not happen in our family. He's an honor roll student, a tight end on the high school football team, a talented baseball catcher, who gets player of the week during the season. This is not Carson. So clearly when something hits you like this, you, you, there's denial and you don't know what to do about it. And uh, this was the start of the journey for her um, that she introduced at the beginning of the book. The second thing I wanted to share with you is um, a letter that she wrote um, when they were ready to send her son to treatment. And it, it's expensive, as you know. <laughs> And um, there's also a stigma with mental illness with your family, but she had to come clean and let everybody know because she wanted to let people know about it. And she also was looking to raise some money. So she said she sent in a letter on a, on a fund gathering page called Plum Fund to all our friends and family near and far. It pains us to put this out there. Our business, our secrets, our private life. Why? Because it's not pretty. It's not a praise or a brag about achievements. It's actually ugly. It's dirty and we are devastated. Carson has struggled with substance use since he was 16. What started as, as typical teenage experimenting slowly turned into regular use. He has been in rehab and therapy three times. He works recovery, but can't seem to shake that monkey off his back. Sending him away will get him away from his environment and into longer treatment program 
70 to 90 days inpatient than sober living for six to nine months. The cost is high. Insurance only covers a fraction, if any. And here's the kicker, it might not work. He's 18 years old, he's an addict. We have to give him a fighting chance. What else is the alternative? Please don't feel any pressure to give, but do pray for him and love us. Love Dawn and her husband Sloan. So what a powerful message <laughs> as he was about to get into treatment. And, um, you know, I, I'm excited to be able to speak to Dawn and dig into her story. I'd like you to know that there appears to be a happy ending. So I'm really excited to hear about that as well. And this is, you know, uh, the reason for this podcast is to give people some hope, some education. Um, and, and you could see that the, the harrowing story and the depths of what she went through with her family and where it's come uh, right now is, is, is really uh, uh, compelling and interesting. So, um, so let's dig into this story and learn about how parents can best manage through such challenging times. And uh, I want to welcome Dawn. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you. Thank you, Andy, for having me. Um, this is great. Thanks for doing this podcast. You know, parents like us, we, um, there some, some deal with it other ways. We seem to be action oriented people. You do a podcast and some other, um, mom, another mom I did a podcast with, she, uh, safe homes. She's, you know, action oriented me. I wrote a book. I, more and more as I'm meeting people like you, I'm realizing that I am not alone. So my family's not alone. But more reaction I get from from families or the general public when they hear about Carson or the book, they don't have a clue. So it's we have our own little subculture, I guess. And I wish we didn't all have to be part of it, but we have to so, figure so, it out. Yeah. So in your in your book, um Normally, I start off with tell me about your background, but I think I'll skip over this because I think it'll I think it'll come out throughout our discussions in terms of uh, everything that's happened in your family. Um, and you you just pointed out about how it's a smaller world than you think. And in your book, you actually say, "What do you mean when you?" In your book, you say that uh, your story seems to be more of the norm than not. And you know, what made you come to that conclusion and what's the impact of families of, of suggesting something like that? Uh, well, I think, um, well, I know drugs have gotten more potent. Um, the kids are not afraid of experimenting. Um, they, it's easy to get uh, Snapchat, um, Instagram, you know, drug dealers troll those sites. Um, nobody has none of the kids have to go to a CD part of town um and so it's not it's it doesn't matter your color your um religious belief or your economic background it's it can happen to anybody and right now you know with the fentanyl um that's just hitting the market it's crazy yeah so it's it's more prevalent, even though people don't speak about it every day in the open. Right. Uh, is the, the the facts that I shared earlier, which actually came from your book as well, relating to the you know eight percent of the population is under is undergoing you know some addiction that they're getting treated for. 
So can you tell me a little bit about your family and about Carson and how you realized, um, you know, he was, he, you know, he was facing some of these challenges and issues? Yeah, he, um, like normal teens do, he started smoking pot with his friends. And when he went off to high school, he was 15, um, the summer before his freshman year. And we live in the Midwest. We're from Indiana, um, go to church, play sports, you know, have a close family. Um, we're very involved in our, in the kid's life, but not trying to be over-involved. You know, you try to do all the things. So, um, you know, I'm a hairdresser. My husband's a FedEx driver and, you know, both kids went to, um, great schools uh, in the city and, yeah, I just, just the norm, I, I feel like just the average, the average family. Okay. And um, you, we spoke a little earlier, you had suggested you didn't, um, you didn't actually really know about his anxiety and depression and other issues until he actually started doing drugs because of the nature of his personality and, and, you didn't understand his, his school struggles. Can you describe that a little bit more? Because I know that parents sometimes know um, and are, and try to address it successfully or unsuccessfully when a, when a, when a child has uh, some challenges or they, uh, you know, or they don't know. And so, you know, they, they, they tend to be a little bit more reactive. Um, and, you know, in the best cases, obviously, they know and they can address it properly. So, just, just right. can you share your experience? Right. So Carson, his, his use progressed and he's more of an introverted kid. And he would come to find out later when he was in wilderness that his kind of outward exterior, too cool for school, um, kind of the way he acted um, is not what he was feeling inside. It was, that was a coping mechanism. He, we found out later because he's not overly um, verbal. I mean, he just kept it all inside. On the outside, he looked confident. You know, he's a good athlete. He did well in school. I mean, by grades, um, no teachers ever said, oh, you know, he might have, you know, uh, learning disability, nothing. Until we got to wilderness and had psychological testing. So when his, substance use progressed um we realized that that was a problem and and then as we're learning we're learning that a lot of most of the time substance use in adolescence is secondary to really what's going on behind the scenes and and it can happen at in adolescence like starting in middle school he says something did change in sixth grade and he started comparing himself to other kids, which I mean, and again, found that out when he was in wilderness. So he he totally on the exterior faked it, but in the interior, you know, inside he was um, fear of missing out. He had social anxiety. He wanted to go and do stuff, but he when he started just smoking pot and realizing, oh, you know, that kind of took the edge off. Or if I took this pill, um, then I could do my speech in class and nobody would know. And then it just kept, and then he opened the door to genetics 
for him, hereditary. So my um, father-in-law is, was a all or nothing alcoholic. And my father was, is functional and, and has not in recovery, but has stopped as he has come into his later years. And um, so he's abstinent. He's functional. He was functional. Okay. So it must've hit you like a little bit like a brick when it happened, because it became an emergency and a crisis for you. Right. Um, In my personal experience with Audrey, she, um, you know, we had her tested when we saw some um, uh, anxiety and depression coming on and realized that her short-term memory was, was in ranked very low. She couldn't retain things. And so other kids started surpassing her emotionally and academically. And then we tried to bring a village to help her, but it wasn't enough, you know? So we, we were able to identify it as it progressed, but it, it wasn't enough. So it's, it's an intro, you know, it, it happens in all ways, shapes and forms to people. You can, <laughs> be on top of it at the beginning you f- you find out at the end um you know yeah and that's where we're hard on ourselves as parents because we're doing we're, we're learning as we're going because Absolutely. a lot of yeah we're learning as we're going because who who where was the manual for this right you're doing the best you can every parent does the best they can with the deck that they have yeah. Um, I think one thing that you did speak about that's kind of important though that I've learned since is understanding what's going on behind the scenes, right? You see the behavior and you label the behavior, but what's really going on? Kids don't want to be bad. They want to feel like they're in control. They want to feel like they're supported and they don't do destructive things for the sake of doing destructive things, right? Right. And yes, their way of coping or lashing out, right? Right. And that's, so as a child, as you know, so even before adolescence, you know, he would get kind of himself all wound up and he'd get, and the way it would come out, he'd get snarky either at us or at friends or um, at his brother. And so, yes, that was the only clue looking back that something internally was going on and that's how it showed up. And we just thought he was just, um, now we would, what would we call it emotionally dysregulated at times, or he just had to learn as a parent, you had to learn how to teach or teach him how to control that. Well, I'm thinking that that was his mechanism to say something's wrong and I can't articulate what that is. Right. So in the book, um, he had multiple episodes where he had, you know, um, pot or Xanax or other, other drugs and you were trying to get him help and wean him off of it and he would fall back. Um, what was that whole process like? for you as a parent and for your husband Sloan and for your, for your other son, Jackson? Um, well, so we, the first time that he ended up in rehab, he, cause, cause of he's riskier, he's the one that said, okay, I'm going to go and buy a bunch of Xanax and we're all going to try with his friends. They pulled their money together. Well, he took one and the way it reacts in your system I don't know if it's a blackout kind of situation or what, but he then took another and then took another and then took another. And he was high for like 48 hours. We couldn't get it out of his system. And he was manic. He was aggressive. He was, um, he would leave. He was, um, it it was just horrible. I mean, we knew he had to detox. So we get him in 
and he detox he the first round and he does the inpatient and then partial hospitalization where he's there all day but sleeps at home and then IOP which is intensive outpatient three three times a, a week for two hours a night um he ended up missing three weeks of school that first time um and he didn't go back to football um so then we're and at that time you know several people would say oh it's just a one-off you know your kid you know they just got into something that kind of thing you really probably didn't need to do that go all the way straight into inpatient and i'm like well living with him and you know and in the book i talk about it we called 911 five times he tried to you know would he would have if we didn't have the child locks on jump out of a, a car down the highway um he out of windows he just super superhuman strength my son and my husband had to you know contain him which then means that when we he did get into rehab which i didn't talk about this in the book but it he, they asked the questions about physicality and so we ended up having a meeting with CPS, Child Protective Services, because he was a minor at the time. And so that led to, you know, having to, to go through all that. Um, and then, so then he kind of was okay through his sophomore year. Okay. His junior year, things started ramping up and he was, he, he kept doing stuff. He kept doing one hits before going into school. We noticed that things weren't right. He was starting to dabble in opiate, op opioids and barbiturates and because he was thinking he can hide it from us. And then, um, but we know that something wasn't right. His eyes would be different. And when he was really high on something, it, one eye would turn in. And till finally he, you know, he was high during Thanksgiving and he was high going to church at Christmas. and. Um, when I took, you know, he went out and just met the drug dealer and got one Zan, Zan bar. And so Christmas Eve at church, he was high. And, and so then, you know, we're, I'm talking into going back in to do treatment and he wouldn't do it. He's, he's going to, um, hit his academics hard. He's going into baseball season. This is his junior year until the end of his junior year, he kept his act together. And then he went to sell plasma to buy weed thinking, I'm just going to do weed. And he bought Zanbars and then he went on another three week bender and missed weeks of school until it landed him in jail. And then, then he spent his junior year through um, in rehab uh, through the summer and then started, then we did some other things. He admitted then he was an addict and he didn't have control and he, we changed his senior year schedule. And um, so he was going half time because that's all he needed. And he was going to work. He was going to check in at fit at his recovery hospital. He was doing, um, going to NA meetings and we had started a dual diagnosis pro program because he did have a panic attack. The beginning of his, uh, what we think was a panic attack, the beginning of his senior year. And then I said, you know what, maybe there's, there is something more, but to this. So we, I found this dual diagnosis program at our local children's hospital and it was a study, so nothing was moving really quickly. And he was trying, he had one foot in sobriety and one foot not. And we can tell something was ramping up. And then um, probably he was still an intensive outpatient and he probably had started doing heroin at that time. 
Wow. And he said he got bamboozled. He was look, looking for a Percocet and he got bamboozled into doing heroin. And um, within a month, he was using heroin so much that he, um, he then he overdosed. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so that you gave a lot more detail about some of the journey for him. Um, what I was asking and, 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 uh, and hope you could respond to this is just, what was it like for you and your husband? Meaning how did you cope? <laughs> how, you know, what, so help, that, that what help did you seek? Um, you know, were you on edge all the time? What did you feel like you were going to make it? What, what was it like to be a parent going through all this? Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I know I talk a lot about what he did, but for us, like it was constantly a chasing thing. We were chasing and we kept trying to get ahead of it, or we would try to say, well, we just need to get him through high school and then he's on his own. Cause we're still learning, you know, we're still learning about how it affects the brain. So we're, we're educating ourselves. We're we're trying to figure out, is this just adolescence? Is this um, just behavior gone bad? Is it, or do we have a problem? Like Houston, do we have a problem here? Um, and it, it, lots of anxiety, a lot of um, trying to act like nothing's wrong, especially when he's high at family functions. Um, yeah, we didn't, my husband and I, I didn't do any Al-Anon at that time, didn't do any of that because it's like we didn't have time. We had to work. We had to figure out programs for him. And we just had to get through every day. And then when we had quiet times, you just like, oh, well, maybe the storm is over until the storm hit again. Right. Did you feel like so you we and really your husband, haven't done? I'm sorry. Did I'm sorry. Go feel ahead. like go you ahead. and your husband were well aligned and a good team in terms of how to approach different things? Or did that make it much more uh, uh, difficult? He, uh, yes. In the end, yes. Um, when we got, um, I would say just in the beginning, yes, we were always aligned that way. And except from the beginning, because he even thought, well, maybe, maybe we just, we threw him into rehab and we didn't need to, we, you know, you, you don't think it as bad as it really is. And the only time that I ever said to him and maybe as, and I said, and I said, I said, look, if something, this was back when he was a sophomore in high school, look, we're going to do everything possible because if something happens and you tell me, no, we're not going to do something, I'm going to blame you. So yes, it, it, it could have gone ugly. And I know that a lot of marriages don't survive their kids, um, mental health issues or their substance use or because they're not aligned, but yes, thank, thank God we, we have, we've, we're, we're still on the same page and he's, you know, um, been very okay with me writing the book and and talking on podcasts right i mean what i've seen is that most parents step up because they have no choice you know and they have to make decisions quickly and it shows the best in in parenting and the best in humans but they they neglect their own self-care right yeah. so going out on a date with your husband or your wife or your partner or, or you know and and actually not talking about your kid, <laughs> right? No, Going, yeah, spending time at the gym, you know, spending time at the gym for an hour, a couple times a week, instead of doing research about your son's condition, right? Just right. all those kinds of things just can, can weigh on you after a period of time. 
Oh yeah. And no, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of that because we still had Jackson, our older one, and he was at home. And like when Carson was in rehab during his June summer before his senior year, he didn't go on family vacation, but we took, I wanted to keep something normal for Jackson. Now come to find out Jackson isn't innocent in all of this. He too is a teenager that has experimented, but has not been affected um, as harshly as Carson. Right. Well, in the um, book, but we were trying book, to keep things normal. Go ahead. The book it actually said that Jackson introduced Carson to drugs the first time, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah, he did marijuana. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, and his so Jackson's best friend from elementary school overdosed in our home, and that's in the book as well. And now going back without telling on Jackson because Jackson's story is Jackson's story. And he hasn't approved me to write a book on him yet. Um, but I'm going to assume that Jackson and his friend were dabbling in stuff they shouldn't have been dabbling in. Mm. Okay. And what was Jackson's relationship with Carson as he was going through all his struggles? Good, I would say good, um, protective. Um, I think even he thought that it was just normal Carson who was just, you know, taking it to, you know, the top instead of just being mellow about it. But he was there times that we had, we were in crisis mode and he had to help contain Carson and, um, you know, to keep him from hurting himself or hurting us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you tell he us says about he would love I'm sorry. Oh, he was said that Jackson did say that he has talked to Carson since the book's been out and said that he would like to be on a podcast of with him to be like if Carson ever is interviewed about it because they, he would like to talk about from his sibling point of view. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we can arrange for that. All right. And I'd be interested in that. Uh, you know, my most popular interview on this podcast was when my wife interviewed my daughter because you got to hear the kids point of view and what the, what they went through as a yeah that would be great and parents would love to know that because then maybe that would give us insight to be more preventative all right i'll follow up on that that, that could be a gold mine oh, okay okay um can you tell us about the process about writing the book itself you know what what inspired you to want to write the book and and was it cathartic for you was it really hard um, and you know, what has it been like since it, since, uh, it got published for you and your family? Um, yes, it was cathartic. So, um, not when, um, COVID hit, I was off work for nine weeks, but, um, I'm very faithful. So God really laid it on my heart to keep track of the stories and take pictures, take video, because if anything, we needed to show him when he became, you know, clear headed what he was doing to his world and to his life and to us. And then I had all this time on my hands and I'm like, I'm going to put this out on, I'm just started writing like it was a journal. And then, but then I also had learned all these statistics and I wanted to, and things just kept popping into my head and I'm like, okay, well, I'll write, I'll just keep writing. And then talking to friends and, and they're like, you know, I, I gave it to a couple of my friends that have written some things and, um, and they are like, you, you know, you should put this out there because there, 
I think you can help other people not feel so alone. And, um, and I really want to talk about because the, the, the good part of the ending here is through getting him out of our state and getting him into um, wilderness therapy and then on to, to get him away because he had it so bad that he was going to kill himself. He survived his overdose with health issues. He has a hearing loss now and wears hearing aids. And at first his heart um, was horrible, but with medication and healing, um, he, that's rectified itself. But um, I wanted to show that recovery is possible and it's not, not the end of the story. Um, yeah, and, I want, and, what, and what resources are out there? Right. Um, because obviously three, three times in rehab, in our local recovery hospital um, was not enough. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I would um, love to hear, you know, at the end of the book, he's still in rehab. Um, but um, you've since shared with me that, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's like, uh, hopefully a happy ending and some things that are that are very positive and for Carson right now. Can you share that, please? Yeah, yeah. So we knew we wanted him from sober from wilderness, which was 12 weeks. He went to sober living and was there for 13 months. <clears throat> and he chose he chose because um, we gave him some options and he chose Utah, um, which the mountains are grounding for him. So he um, as he was we knew he was getting ready to train he was not coming home he was going to live there and he needed to find a different job and we started looking into so there's lots of um, therapeutic boarding schools and ranches and wilderness programs out in Utah and I said well why don't we look into that and he did he found a program on in southern Utah um, that was uh, advertising for field guides on Indeed. And him and I, so I'm in Indiana, he's in Utah, and we're kind of going through Indeed together. And he applied and he was invited to do the training. And that was back in uh, April of 21. And so he got hired on and he, was the, he still, I think, is the youngest field guide. And um, he's he is now giving back. He works with adolescent boys, 13 to 17 year olds. And he's made some great friends and he works uh, eight days on, six days off. He lives in Salt Lake. And um, so they've, and he climbs and he, he loves, he's, he'll be a, a mountaineer or a alpinist. He loves doing that. Um, and he, um, he's just, he's doing great. And it is keeping him in sobriety. He, he is the kind that will, because his addiction kind of superseded all his anxiety and his other uh, mental health issues. Um, he has to keep addiction at the forefront. So he is the kind of person that probably will always have to work in or around to forget while why he was living in Utah and and, and that scared him so he at least for now he's soon to be 21 but for now he'll probably always work in or around or keep you know be in recovery you know somehow some way 
Okay. So those programs clearly were helpful to him. And it's wonderful that when he came out of the program, that another program was willing to give him a chance and train him, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, they know he's in recovery and they knew where that he'd been a student of wilderness and that he had, um, in fact, he's even recommended, um, who's now his roommate, um, someone else that was in his sober living program that is a field guide at, um, at this program. So because he feels like he has control, he feels he's supported, he feels like he's making an impact. He doesn't have the same stressors he had on him when he was a teenager comparing himself or struggling in school. No. He, he, he's confident. He's prospering, right? Yes. He's his obviously more mature, too. He's older. Right. Yeah, a lot can happen between 15 and soon to be 21. Right. I mean, if you, it, which I say in the book, I learned from um, Michael Bradley, Dr. Michael Bradley and um, in his book, he, he's basically think, no, it wasn't that one. It's a different book, but anyway, it was basically keep them alive until they're 25. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, we're both friends of, uh, other parents like me, OPLM. And, yes. um, I've been a supporter of theirs because it, it's a bigger, a bigger sense of community where people can get help um online uh, in zoom meetings each week and i'm a peer parent coach or a peer parent uh who happens to be a coach and i understand you're going to be doing that too which is wonderful given your background and perspective so invite anybody to check out at, at oplm.com um and certainly i'm going to um put the book link in in the show notes and uh, we'll follow up with you on the Carson and uh, Jackson interview. So yeah, that would be great. That'd yeah, yeah, be awesome. So thank you for sharing your story, for being so vulnerable, for being so honest. Um, I'm so glad that you know, on the other side of this, um, you had a good. You you seemed to have a good outcome, and you didn't lose hope, even though it was such a struggle. And uh, and I recommend everybody, you know take, you know, um, um, pick up a copy of the book, which I'll put, again, I'll put in the show notes. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me. Okay. So it was great to have you on the show. Appreciate your honesty and vulnerability on your journey. And parents, remember, take care of your children and empower yourself with information at Parents Journey.